In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. September 11th happens to follow on a Sunday this year. 21 years ago today, jetliners into Manhattan's World Trade Center, Washington's Pentagon, a field in Pennsylvania's Stony Creek Township. I knew today was going to be a sober day. Now, Sherry and I are just back from two weeks of changing diapers for a two-month-old grandson on Long Island. I'm very glad to be back with you. (laughs) We were out on Long Island, and Long Island is is really beautiful. Lots of little towns clustered together. Every town lost people that day. Every town has a memorial. Everybody remembers. Everybody was preparing to remember that day, this day. Now, while there, I'm preparing this message in my mind. I'm pondering today's passage in Paul, where Paul calls himself chief of sinners. Because before he met Christ, he had had the same sort of misguided, twisted faith and zealotry that sent those jetliners on their missions of death. And then this week, late this week, Her Majesty the Queen dies. A person who, like Paul in our passage today, finds in Jesus Christ a faith and a love that do not come from within herself and that animate her life and make it one, like Paul's, of dignity and service. Just three brief observations about Queen Elizabeth II. All through her reign, she insisted that what, when she sensed that she had become queen, was not when they put the crown on her head, but when under under the canopy, off camera, as I recall, the Archbishop of Canterbury anointed her with oil, putting the cross on her forehead and on her palms and on her exposed chest. She was famous for her Christmas messages hear these words from her Christmas message, 2011. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. It is my prayer that on this Christmas day, we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of God through Christ our Lord. 
and in the halls of parliament. The video that you can find on Twitter just now. Tim Farron, former leader of the Liberal Democrats, said the late Queen was a constant to us all, but the constant in her life was her faith in Jesus Christ. Farron goes on to recognize that religion for many people is perfunctory or ceremonial, but not for the Queen. For her, he says, it was a living, active faith in a living Savior. Friends, when you have that kind of faith, you can weather the storms of the diminishment of your domain, the sad breakups in your family, the death of your beloved. You can see your duty through to the end. You recall that, that uh, Elizabeth came, became queen when Winston Churchill was still prime minister. But she could not let her 70-year reign end without welcoming her 15th prime minister, Liz Truss, just 48 hours before her death. When you have that kind of faith, you can have a lively sense of humor and carry yourself with an equilibrium that allows you to do crazy things. Like, you recall this back in 2012? Daniel Craig, James Bond, escorted her to the helicopter where she flew over to Olympic Stadium and then her, her stunt double skydived into the stadium. That's amazing. And when you have that faith, you can have a little fun with your Platinum Jubilee celebration by hosting tea with Paddington Bear where you find you share affection for marmalade sandwiches. He always carrying one under his red hat for emergencies, and you always carrying one in your handbag for later. When I grow up, I want to be that person, don't you? When I grow up, first, I want to grow into deeper and do deeper humility. Look what happens to the Apostle Paul over time as the realization of what it is to be taken hold of by God's mercy sets in. He expresses himself early in his ministry as merely least of the apostles, then partway through as least of the saints, and then in today's passage, chief of sinners. Just track with him on this. During the first phase of Paul's ministry, when he's establishing churches throughout the Mediterranean basin, when he's launching the mission, proclaiming Christ as God's son, who's come in the fullness of time, a redeemer from the curse of the law, the last Adam bringing a new creation. During this period, he acknowledges himself to be least of the apostles, not fit to be an apostle because I persecuted the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. Maybe seven years later or so, under house arrest in Rome, a time when his portrait of Christ has become somewhat more elevated, writing to the Colossians and the Ephesians, he describes the cosmic dimensions of Christ's person and work, as well as the cosmic dimensions of the church as the extension of Christ's life in the world. And once again, he describes himself, only he's in a lower position. He's no longer merely least of the apostles. He marvels 
at all that has been revealed to me, the very least of the saints. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And finally, maybe a couple of years later, in today's epistle, as Marianne read it to us just a few moments ago, Paul is on something like a farewell tour, securing his legacy in writing, fortifying the next generation of leadership, desiring his favorite protege, Timothy, to recall him as a trophy of God's grace. Now he's no longer merely least of the apostles, least of all the saints. Now he puts himself at the bottom of the pile. He says, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Some translations, chief of sinners. That's what I want to be when I grow up. More and more of Christ, less and less of me. Knowing that when that happens, my stature like that of Paul and like that of Her Majesty only by God's grace grows. So first, I want to grow into deeper and deeper humility. Second, and it's only a two-point sermon today, so chill. Second, I want to be more and more given to worship that makes heaven smile. Notice where Paul goes after describing himself as chief of sinners. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's increasing realization of the greatness of Christ and the relative littleness of himself lead to deeper worship. We don't have time to go into the details, but Paul's later letters, after the beatings, number of jailings, and the shipwrecks, after all that, his letters take on a more lyrical, poetic, song-like feel, most of these letters being written from prison. Paul seems to become more joyful, more prayerful. You know, the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians are one extended prayer. His writings become more worshipful and certainly more exultant in the greatness of his Lord and the hopefulness of his plan for the ages. To him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, he writes. It helps me a lot. Maybe it can help you too to realize that in your thankful worship, you, you and I can make heaven smile. And so, a little side glance to today's gospel. Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Just so I tell you, <clears throat> there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Joy in the presence of the angels of God. I don't know where you are right now in your life, but as lost and disoriented as you may feel in this moment, you can be confident that the shepherd of your soul is not in the business of just letting his, pardon me, of letting his sheep wander off without his coming after them. You may feel that your life has fallen through the cracks like a forgotten penny, 
and that you've been given up as lost. Not so. Jesus counts his coins diligently and is determined not to lose a single one, and that includes you. Contemplate, please, the joy when what is lost has been found, and when you say, thank you. With Jesus' parables here of the shepherd's lost sheep, and the woman's lost coin, Jesus goes to the heart of his mission among us, doesn't he? He's come for idolaters and sinners, those who are crippled and confused about their own motives, for people caught in misguided, wrong-headed zealotry, for tax collectors, those who use and abuse people. All we have to do is admit it. Jesus never grew tired of reminding people that things that are broken now need fixing, and that people are lost now and need finding. And he comes after them. When I was on Long Island, not always really feeling grateful for the opportunity to change all these diapers, I would take little Jack-Jack out in his stroller and walk around the streets of Long Island, beautiful green trees and blue sky, and words going through my head were those of a poem by E.E. E. Cummings. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of the sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. Cummings goes on later in that poem to, to ask God how any of us who have been, as he says, lifted from the no of all nothing, how could we doubt unimaginable you? And he closes, now the ears of my ears awake and now the eyes of my eyes are open. That's all one good reason that a day like today that rightly has its note of gravitas. It's also a day on which it is appropriate. It is appropriate to dedicate our resurrection trumpets because we can't help but to sing and dance and rejoice in the victory of our Lord Jesus. As Paul wrote to these same Ephesians to whom Paul was called to minister, may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened to know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Amen.